morning, church. Or good evening, church. I did practice that today. Got it right at the 6 p.m. It's good to be with you tonight. I don't know if this is your first Christmas Eve service, as it was for someone in the 6 p.m. service, or if you've been coming to Christmas Eve services your whole life. I don't know exactly where you stand with the Lord, if you treasure Him as your own, or if you're still trying to understand the relevance that He has in your life. But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here to worship with us. I'm glad you're here to hear from the Spirit tonight as He lifts up, lifts up Christ for us. I'm going to preach from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's, there's one in front of you in the chair in front of you underneath. And you can turn basically to the middle of the Bible. You'll eventually come to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to preach on verses 6 and 7, but I want to start reading in verse 2. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Would you pray with me? Father, on this Christmas Eve, I pray that you would work with power. Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would, you would work tonight to bring to us from your word correction where it might be needed, comfort where it's needed, that you would lift up Christ in our midst right now, that we would see why he came in the way that he did, that we would taste the mercy of God tonight that we so desperately need. We pray for your help in this moment. In Christ's name, amen. I loved to visit my grandparents' farm in central Pennsylvania each, well, we went often, and I loved everything about that farm. I loved I love the sounds, I love the gardens, I love the food, I love the sights, I love the pace of life and the work that we did. There was one thing I did not like when I was a kid, and that was nighttime at the farm. I hated going to bed at my grandparents' farm. There were two rooms for me to choose from. The first room was open to the back of the farmhouse. There was an external door that went to the back of the farmhouse. That was completely out of the question was not sleeping there. But the other room that I could choose from 
had a door that went to a stairway that went up to my grandparents' attic. And it was not a charming attic. That attic was filled with bats, and we needed to shop back that attic at least once every year. Neither choice was a good one. But that second bedroom is the one that I chose. And I would crawl underneath the covers, and I would pray for morning. My strategy was this. As long as I fell asleep before all the adults in the room, then things would be fine. All the adults in the house, then things would be fine. But if my plan failed, then all I had left was to hope for morning. Because when the sun rose, the darkness would dissipate. And when the darkness dissipated, my fears would also go away. And here's what I think we all know. The happiness of Christmas can't completely cause the pain to go away. All the joy we feel right now, this evening, as we anticipate tomorrow morning, it can't completely distract us from the points of pain that we're also feeling at Christmas, from the intense loneliness to the painfulness of, the painfulness of relational brokenness, from scary health challenges to financial burdens to the deaths of those we love. The joyful lights of Christmas cannot completely distract us from those points of pain. But though Christmas is a difficult time to experience pain, it's also a surprisingly comforting time to consider our pain. Right in the middle of all those unanswered prayers where we experience darkness, we experience the pain of this life right in the middle of those unanswered prayers at Christmas time is the reminder that Jesus came for that. Jesus came for this. This is why he came. He stepped into the anguish and the gloom of our darkest night as the marvelous sunrise from on high. And his coming means that the darkness and the painful points of our lives are not the final chapter. Instead, Jesus is chasing away the darkness in our lives. Now, the prophecy in Isaiah 9 that I just read takes place 700 years before the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. And, and at that time, God's people were facing darkness in the form of the Assyrian Empire that was coming to take God's people away. And God's people were prepared to see their villages destroyed and their culture trampled, and their lives forever changed. And to make matters worse, they knew that God was permitting this for their own discipline. They had turned away from Him and rebelled against Him and had worshiped other gods. But as their hearts were filled with anguish, God anchors them with a promise. This darkness will not last forever. There is a sunrise. There's a dawn that's coming that will chase away the darkness. So I want to encourage you to, to think about the areas of your life tonight where you're experiencing pain, where you're experiencing the darkness, where you're experiencing a life that's less than God intended when he created us and when he created this world. Here's the main idea. The sunrise has visited us from on high. Turn and marvel. Just two brief questions for us to ask tonight, one in verse 6 and one in verse 7. The question of verse 6 is, who is the sunrise? Look at Isaiah 9, verse 6, just the beginning phrase. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. 
The first thing that we see is that the sunrise is a human. The sunrise is a child. It's a baby. It's a son. And this child is given to us, humanity, as a gift. But why did we need a gift? Why did we need a sunrise? Well, we saw that in, ch- in verse 2 of chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness, that's us, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. And this is not the, the quiet, peaceful darkness of a good camping trip. This particular darkness is a darkness that produced anguish and gloom. It was a misery-inducing darkness. This was a darkness of confusion that produced angst and fear in the hearts of God's people. And Israel's rebellion and the consequence that God permitted, they're meant to instruct us of the truth of our own situation. They tell us about our own spiritual condition. We've also rebelled against God. And the darkness that we experience is far more grisly than the army the Assyrian army that threatens the people of Israel. The Bible tells us that we've been plunged into a deep darkness. Sin is is rebellion by us against God, and sin is what turned the lights out in God's creation. We once enjoyed sweet, joyful fellowship with God, but sin turned the lights out, and our sin created alienation and separation between us and God. We once enjoyed loving, selfless relationships with each other, and then sin turned the lights out, and sin produced envy and selfishness and deceit. We once enjoyed bodies that were lasting and strong, and then sin turned the lights out and gave birth to disease and aging and death. We once enjoyed a thriving, astounding, beautiful creation that God called good, and then sin turned the lights out, and sin corrupted the creation with thorns and disaster. God describes what our sin did to His creation and to His people as deep darkness, as a cloud that has covered all of creation in our own hearts. And because of sin, we raise our fists at God and at each other, and our bodies decay and die, and creation itself groans and storms. And listen, we aren't any happier for our rebellion. Our hearts are filled with anguish and gloom, but the sunrise has visited us from on high, born as a child and yet a king, which is what we see in the second part of Isaiah 9, verse 6. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. This son that is born shall bear the government, the weight of the government on his shoulder. Government here means rule or dominion. This baby, born to a poor family in a backwoods town of Bethlehem, laid in a feeding trough, this baby would bear the weight of a rule and a dominion and a kingdom. This baby is not merely a king, not merely a human king, but he's a king that Isaiah gives by the power of the Spirit, characteristics and attributes that are true of God Himself. Look at the end of verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful marvelous, extraordinary counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This baby in that manger 
has all the attributes and characteristics of God the Father. This is a divine one with authority and power to accomplish His purposes. What we see of God the Father in terms of attributes and characteristics, we see in God the Son, which raises the question, if this is the sunrise, then why has the sunrise come? Well, that's what verse 7 answers. The sunrise is born to set His people free, and the sunrise is born to reign forever. Look at verse 7 again. Of the increase of His government, of His rule and dominion, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Why did the sunrise come? to establish a kingdom. And he'll do it by the strength of his character, by the brokenness of his body. He will reverse the curse of sin, darkness, on creation. Like the pink light of a sunrise moves across the landscape inch by inch by inch, so the sunrise would roll back the darkness, the curse of sin on all of creation inch by inch by inch. Indeed, the sunrise is the prince of peace. Notice the connection between government and peace. Why is the government here? He connects it to the establishment of peace, of shalom, of wholeness, of completeness. He will establish a government, and that government will be one of peace. He tells us three things about this kingdom in verse 7. First, he tells us that it's universal. This kingdom that the sunrise, this baby will introduce into creation is universal. There will be no end to his government or rule or reign. People from all nations and all tribes and all tongues and all peoples will be gathered together under his rule in this dominion. All the earth belongs to this baby in Bethlehem. He will beat back the darkness as far as the curse is found in creation. Sin and death and Satan will have no place to hide from his dominion, and they will one day be thrown into the lake of fire and condemned forevermore. This kingdom is universal. This kingdom is also pure. The government of peace will be established, and it will be upheld, and it will be characterized by justice and by righteousness. The sunrise, this baby, will be unbiased, fair, and upright. He will always and only do what is right. In fact, he can never do otherwise. He is the very essence of righteousness, and he will implement his righteousness and his justice decisively. No amount of darkness will slow his kingdom's reign. No one can interrupt what he is bringing. It will be totally pure, totally whole, totally good, totally light. His kingdom is universal, it's pure, and then we see finally it's eternal. The government of peace will be everlasting. The sunrise will reign forevermore. There's no end to his kingdom. Every kingdom in creation will come to an end, but not this kingdom. This kingdom will reign forever. Years will roll into decades, will roll into centuries, will roll into millennium, will roll and roll and roll into everlasting joy and peace. But the question is, how do we know that this will happen? 
The end of verse 7 tells us that the zeal, that is the passion or the determination of the Lord of hosts, that word is also used for armies, Lord of armies will do this. The Lord of hosts wants the story written this way, and so the story will be written this way. Why has the sunrise come to set his people free and to reign forever? This sunrise will chase away the dark cloud that our sin has cast over our hearts, our relationships, our bodies, and our creation. This is how we understand pain and suffering in this world. Ultimately, it comes from the fountainhead of our rebellion against God. He created us for the warmth and joy of a relationship with Him in a creation that He called good, and we turned away from that. And from that point, all of creation groans under the weight of our sin and our rebellion. And Jesus comes to set us free. He comes to roll that back. In Matthew 4, God the Spirit tells us in no uncertain terms that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Jesus moves throughout the land of Israel, step by step by step, and as He goes, He rolls back the darkness in creation. He does that by preaching with authority. The crowds and the religious leaders, even those who reject Jesus, still are in awe of His authority. They've never heard a preacher like this. In Matthew 4, He tells them to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's beginning to roll back the darkness. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 5.32, I've not come to call the righteous. I've not come to call those who find their righteousness in themselves, but sinners to repentance. I've come to call sinners to repentance. In John 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever turns from following themselves and follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's rolling back the darkness. He's bringing in the light. Jesus, the sunrise from on high, proclaims freedom for captives, sight for those who are blind in darkness. He calls us to turn, to trust Him, and to live. This is not a boring preacher. This is a preacher who says, make a decision, follow me, turn, live in the light. And then he reinforces his preaching by doing things that authenticate his preaching. He cleansed lepers, making them clean. He healed paralytics, making them walk. He cast out demons, making them free. He gave sight to the blind, making them see. He raised people from the dead, making them alive. He's rolling back the darkness, not only in his preaching, but then he's authenticating his preaching with miracles, physical signs that the people could see and understand that he not only spoke with authority, he had the authority. But more than all this, deeper than this, more thrilling than this, Jesus takes away the sins of the world. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served. You get the manger? Not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. In John's gospel, we read, behold, marvel, at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Friends, the dark blanket of sin has covered all of God's good creation. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago to do the work that is required for the darkness to lose. He's going to come a second time. And when He does darkness, all that affects us and creation will be finally cast away. And we're living in between those first and second comings where we still experience the weight of darkness, the disobedience in our own hearts, the rebellion against God in our own hearts, the evil we do to one another, the sickness we feel in our bodies, the disasters that we watch in creation. We're living in between His first and second coming, but He defeated it. He defeated the darkness. He rolled it back, and we wait with eagerness for His second coming when He will make all things right. I know how painful the darkness is in your life and mine. You picture that kid under the blankets longing for dawn, knowing that when the dawn comes, it will chase away the darkness and the fear and anguish along with it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 78, Zechariah prophesies, and he says this, because of the tender mercy of our God, that's the first domino, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. It is the tender mercy of God that moved toward us, did not wait for us to fix ourselves, but moved toward us because of His tender mercy, whereby the sunrise, the Son of God, would visit us from on high. Why? To give light to those who sit in darkness. That's us. And in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Friends, all we can do is turn and marvel. This one spoke with authority. He acted with authority. And he says to us, even now, even in this moment, by his spirit, turn. Don't walk in the darkness anymore. Come into the light. Turn from sin. Let the light expose your need and your chains. Turn and be free. Turn and see. Turn and live. Turn and walk. Receive his mercy. Even now. And then marvel, marvel at the sunrise from on high. His light has freed us. It's given us the power to free us from sin's penalty and sin's power. And one day sin's very presence, he will chase away the darkness forever. So long for that future day when night will be no more, when we will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be our light and we will reign with him forever and ever. Let's pray. God, on this Christmas Eve, we thank you for your work as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, working together for our redemption. I pray that you would strengthen us even as we sing now. Holy Spirit, I know there are people in this room who have heard messages like this many times before. 
Would you quicken their hearts? Would you raise in their hearts the urgency to respond and to build their lives on this rock, this foundation that will outlast everything that we can see around us? May this Christmas be a complete turning point in their life. And for those of us who already are in Christ, would you strengthen us to marvel at the truth of what Christ has accomplished, the Son of God taking on flesh, chasing away the darkness so that every point of pain that we experience tonight has an expiration date because of what He did in coming, in obeying in our place, dying in our place, and rising again to secure us life. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.